0: Well, welcome back once again to the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg, ranting at you from my apartment on Manhattan's Lower East Side on the afternoon of Friday, June 11th. And uh, have you noticed there's been a lot of um, pipelines in the news lately? I'm going to uh, (coughs) start by talking about the disaster with the Colonial Pipeline, which was targeted in a, a cyber attack last month. <clears throat> and this pipeline uh, delivers gasoline from the Texas Gulf Coast all the way here to the New York metropolitan area. And uh, its uh, paralysis last month cut off gasoline deliveries mostly to um, mostly to the Southeast, notoriously causing huge lines at gas stations of the kind that uh, we really haven't seen since the... Uh, Energy Crisis of 1973, if people are old enough to remember those scenes from back in the day. And I just need to uh, clear the air about a few things about this. One is some of the distorted headlines. Note this headline from Reuters. Cyber attack shuts down U.S. fuel pipeline. Seems pretty clear-cut, doesn't it? But then, if you actually read the small print, if you actually read beyond the headline, read the actual text of the article, it says, Top U.S. fuel pipeline operator, Colonial Pipeline, shut its entire network, the source of nearly half of the U.S. East Coast fuel supply, after a cyber attack on Friday, which would have been May 7th, that involved ransomware. So, pay close attention to the grammar here. What the text of the article actually says is, no, the cyber attack did not shut down the pipeline, the company shut down the pipeline in response to the cyber attack, the implication being that they could have continued functioning. Why didn't they? Well, let's turn to a more in-depth report from the New York Times. May 13th, headline, Colonial Pipeline paid 75 Bitcoin, or roughly $5 million, to hackers. The text reads, buried pretty deep in the article, quote, Colonial Pipeline preemptively shut down its pipeline operations to keep the ransomware from spreading, and because it had No way to bill customers with its business and accounting networks offline. End quote. Get it? That's what was at issue here. They didn't want people getting free gasoline. They could have avoided throwing a big chunk of the country into crisis and causing huge lines to to pile up outside gasoline stations if they had merely kept the supply going. And in the interest of the social good, just written off the loss for the gasoline that they couldn't actually charge customers for. But no, instead we get a bunch of distorted headlines about how the cyber attack shut down the pipeline, as if the hackers had remotely turned off the pipeline, which was not the case. Pay close attention, folks. Read past the headline and read past the lead. Okay, who actually was behind it? Well, some group called Dark Side, isn't that cute, took responsibility for it, and they are apparently based in Russia. In their public statements, they've gone out of the way to emphasize that they are not linked to the Russian government. On the, in some uh, statement uh, claiming credit for the attack, they said, quote, we are apolitical, We do not participate in geopolitics. You do not need to tie us with a defined government. And, quote, our goal is to make money and not creating problems for society. End quote. (laughs) Again, it's almost cute in how disingenuous it is. Well, maybe maybe their goal was not to create problems for society, but they certainly didn't have any compunction about doing so. And whether or not this um, dark side entity is actually, uh, you know, controlled by the Russian state, it seems uh, likely, I suppose, at a minimum, that this was a kind of a, they're kind of a what's called a gray zone operation, an ostensibly independent actor, which um, has no traceable ties to the state apparatus of a particular world power but that lack of ostensible ties is largely maintained for purposes of deniability. And it actually is in the, uh, in the orbit or in the sphere of operations of uh, state actors. And according to uh, the guardian of June 6th headline, quote, U S mulling military response to ransomware attacks. Biden officials say, end quote, that's ominous. So, uh, I'd like to think this headline is a little bit overstated. The actual quote from the story, the actual attributed quote from the story is to not anybody in the Pentagon, but to Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo, who says that the U.S. is looking at, quote, all options, end quote. So that's actually kind of vague, shall we say, comfortingly vague. (laughs) Still, it's all very ominous. But once again, I fear that, you know, the issue is going to be who was behind the attack. And yeah, that's definitely an issue in large part because of the uh, potential for escalation, U.S.-Russian relations being what they are right now. And I'm not saying that that question does not deserve attention. Of course, it deserves attention. But I also fear that with the focus being entirely on who the perpetrator was, there's a a much more fundamental question, which uh, is being ignored. And I was very, very vindicated to see that in the uh, National Public Radio account of the shutdown on uh, May 12th, they actually quoted Christopher Krebs, Christopher Cox Krebs' full name, who is the former director of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency in the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, who was sacked by Donald Trump in November 2020 for refuting Trump's claims of election fraud in the presidential election. So, uh, a straight shooter, apparently. And I was extremely vindicated when he told National Public Radio, quote, the underlying enabling factors for this cybercrime explosion are rooted in the digital dumpster fire of our seemingly pathological need to connect everything to the Internet, (laughs) combined with how hard it is to actually secure what we have connected. End quote. Thank you very much, Chris Krebs, so vindicating to see somebody, you know, in officialdom being quoted in the mass media, stating the obvious, which seems to be virtually verboten. And obviously this ties together not only, uh, you know, the security of infrastructure such as pipelines, but also our elections. We wouldn't have to worry about the election being hacked. if we were doing it the old-school way with paper ballots. Alright, a little bit more context here on how this uh, hack was actually perpetrated. This is from a BBC account. How can a pipeline be hacked? For many people, the image of the oil industry is one of pipes, pumps, and greasy black liquid. In truth, the type of modern operation Colonial Pipeline runs is extremely digital. Pressure sensors, thermostats, Valves and pumps are used to monitor and control the flow of diesel, petrol, and jet fuel across 100 miles of piping. Colonial even has a high tech, quote, smart pig, unquote. Pig apparently being an acronym for pipeline inspection gauge robot that scurries through its pipes, checking for anomalies. All this operational technology is connected to a central system. Well, I have a few questions here. First of all, why does that central system have to be connected to the greater Internet? Why can't it be just, you know, its own sort of intranet, as opposed to, you know, being on the the whole worldwide interconnected system, which is vulnerable to Russian hackers? That's question number one. Question number two... Is can't you run those pressure sensors, thermostats, valves and pumps without it being digital? It isn't like people didn't run pipelines before digital technology. You could run those pressure sensors, thermostats, valves and pumps without digital technology. Which brings me to the third point, which is that you know, the human race has been operating oil pipelines for over a century. Digital technology or you know, the internet has only been around for the past generation or so. At least the internet as we know it today has only been around for, you know, about a generation now. And, you know, I hate to tell you this, but millennia ago, the Romans had an extensive network of aqueducts delivering water to their cities all across Western Europe, which basically are not all that different from pipelines, basically they are pipelines just pipelines for water instead of oil, and they didn't even have electricity. so the you know prevailing consensus today that absolutely everything has to be digital and hooked up to the to the world wide web is just an arbitrary dogma and finally there's a fourth point of why the hell are we still using gasoline anyway? not only should we be questioning. Why the colonial pipeline had to be hooked up to the to the internet? We should be questioning why the colonial pipeline even exists in the first place. It's so out of whack. We're supposed to be taking all of these, you know, urgent measures to uh, you know comply with the Paris Accords and address the fact that you know the 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 biosphere is becoming unlivable for human life, thanks to global climate change, and we're still. Not only maintaining this network of pipelines, which is bringing you know gasoline and other fossil fuels from refinery to market so they can be burned and the carbon spewed into the atmosphere, but no ones are still coming online. All right, this brings us to the uh, the other pipeline, which is in the news at the moment, and here's some good news. Yes, isn't it good to have some good news every once in a while? Kind of keeps you going. The Keystone XL pipeline has been canceled 6 months after its uh its presidential permit was revoked by Joe Biden with a stroke of his pen on his first day in office and thank you Joe for that <clears throat> and all of you anarcho dogmatists out there who keep telling me that uh you know there isn't any difference between <laughs> between, uh, you know, Joe Biden and uh, and Donald Trump, well, uh, here's some extremely unambiguous evidence to the contrary. So the company TC Energy, formerly TransCanada, they changed its name in uh, 2019, has um, thrown in the towel. No more Keystone Pipeline. But once again, the headlines are actually a little bit deceptive. Because, in fact, the Keystone Pipeline is actually a, um, a three-part project, and it's only the third part which has been canceled. The first part, the original Keystone Pipeline, brings oil down from the tar sands fields of Alberta in western Canada to a hub at Steel City, Nebraska. That went online in 2010. Then the, uh, the next phase w- uh, was Keystone XL, which was itself divided into new parts. One was to provide a secondary route from uh, Alberta to the United States, and uh, then to extend the pipeline from the Great Plains down to the Texas Gulf Coast and the refineries down there. All right, that was also built the Gulf Coast extension opened in 2014. So it's only the, uh, the third part, which has now been canceled, the secondary route from uh, the Alberta oil sands fields to the hub in Nebraska. That's what's been canceled. So the headlines saying that the Keystone pipeline has been canceled are actually not accurate. The Keystone XL project or the second phase of the Keystone XL project, has been canceled. And that's significant, and it's still a victory, without a doubt. But we have to keep it in perspective. Okay, this canceled leg of the project, the secondary route from uh, Hardisti, Alberta, to Steel City, would have pumped 830,000 barrels of tar sands oil per day to refineries on the Texas Gulf Coast. And if that had actually been built and gone online, it would have made a mockery of the official U.S. commitments under the Paris Climate Agreement. So yeah, yippee. Glad it was canceled. Absolutely. It's a victory. And all of us, and particularly the Lakota and other indigenous peoples of the Great Plains who have been fighting this pipeline, deserve to pat ourselves on the back and celebrate a victory that said we have to keep it in perspective currently canada is exporting about 3.8 million barrels of crude mostly tar sands oil the worst kind per day to the united states according to the uh, us energy department analysts expect that to rise to as much as 4.4 million barrels per day over the next few years. And this will overwhelmingly be delivered to the United States through pipeline expansions, which are already currently in progress. It was in uh, 2004 that Canada surpassed Saudi Arabia as the largest single exporter of oil to the United States at that time, it was providing 1.6 million barrels per day, compared to Saudi Arabia's 1.5 million barrels. Now think about that. We're supposed to be getting off oil. We're supposed to be addressing global climate change. We're supposed to be changing our infrastructure to comply with the Paris Climate Accords. And in 2004, not that long ago, When Canada surpassed Saudi Arabia as the largest exporter of oil to the United States, it was 1.6 million barrels a day. And they are anticipating that five years from now, it's going to be 4.4 million barrels a day. Sorry. We apparently are not serious about getting better. A year ago... There seemed like there was a, uh, you know, a moment of opportunity there when, uh, you know, the entire hydrocarbon industry was paralyzed by the economic shutdown due to the, um, the pandemic. And the price of oil actually went negative. In other words, it was costing more to uh, drill the stuff out of the ground and get it to market than the, uh, the companies could, uh, you know, recoup at the gas pump. And there was a moment of opportunity there to actually begin the long overdue crash conversion from fossil fuels and now it appears that with the uh, you know so-called return to normality or as uh, is frequently said today normalcy <clears throat> which is incorrect the hydrocarbon industry is unfortunately recovering us domestic shale oil output is expected to climb By 26,000 barrels a day this month, June 2021, to 7.73 million barrels per day, when just a year ago, the industry was virtually paralyzed. So, you know, I fear that, you know, the opportunity which was presented by the disaster of the pandemic, of, you know, quote-unquote, building back better in the, uh, vague cliche, which is bandied about by the Biden administration. I prefer to call it a crash conversion from fossil fuels. That opportunity is being lost unless we raise a voice and a public mandate for a crash conversion from fossil fuels. So yeah, believe me, I'm very happy that the Keystone XL pipeline has been canceled or half of it technically, has been canceled, the most important half, that which would have been bringing new tar sands oil down from northern Canada. I'm very happy that it's been canceled. But again, need to keep things in perspective. And there are so many of these, uh, you know, pipeline fights going on all over the damn place. Just this past Monday, June 7th, some 180 protesters including many indigenous Ojibwe people, were arrested in Hubbard County, Minnesota, attempting to block the operations, the construction operations, on the uh, Line 3 pipeline being built by uh, a company called Enbridge, the major competitor in Canada of uh, the former Trans Canada, which was building the uh, Keystone pipeline, which would similarly be bringing shale oil from northern Canada to U.S. markets, I was very heartened to read that um, Brooklyn residents have launched a a gas bill strike, refusing to to pay their monthly uh, bills to um, National Grid, which us old-school New Yorkers still think of as Brooklyn Union Gas, to demand that uh, the company drop its plans to build what they're calling the North Brooklyn Pipeline, officially designated the uh, Metropolitan Natural Gas Reliability Project, which would cut through um, several Brooklyn neighborhoods, including Brownsville, Bedford-Stuyvesant, Bushwick, and East Williamsburg, in order to facilitate expanded capacity at National Grid's gas depot at um, Newtown Creek the extremely polluted body of water which separates Brooklyn from Queens. The uh, same group, which is uh, called the Rate Strike in Brooklyn against uh, National Grid, Sane Energy Project, also um, scored a victory almost exactly a year ago in May of 2020 when the Williams Pipeline, which would have pumped fracked natural gas from Pennsylvania through New Jersey under New York Harbor, connecting it to the, uh, the grid in the Rockaways, was canceled by the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation, DEC, after a long activist campaign. The DEC said in a statement, quote, at the time, just about a year ago, May 2020, New York is not prepared to sacrifice the state's water quality for a project that is not only environmentally harmful, but also unnecessary to meet New York's energy needs. End quote. Citing the, uh, you know, the threat of, um, not only the threat of leaks, but the uh, the impacts that pipeline construction would have had on the water quality and marine life in the impacted areas. So, there was some good news. Meanwhile, there was a similar pipeline, which actually connects to... um, Manhattan at the Hudson River to lower Manhattan near where I live at the Hudson River. Similarly, bringing a fracked gas from Pennsylvania and New Jersey, the Spectra pipeline, which actually opened in 2013 after a long fight by local activists. We lost that one. And I'll mention one more pending project, which also impacts indigenous peoples right here in our neck of the woods, meaning the uh, tri-state area, shall we say, the Ramapo-Lenape tribe in the township of Bawa, New Jersey, has been for the past several years protesting the proposed Pilgrim pipeline that would carry fracked shale oil from the Bakken Formation out west to a refinery in Linden, New Jersey. The planned route crosses the uh, New York, New Jersey Highlands region, source of water for more than 4.5 million people in both states. And the Ramapo-Lenape people also fear that a potential leak could not only pollute critical waters, but impact the remnants that they are still holding onto of their traditional lands. So I say that, you know, The real lesson of what we just witnessed with the uh, colonial pipeline disaster is less that we have to, uh, you know, build effective digital firewalls and protect our infrastructure from Russian hackers than it is that we need a crash conversion, not only from fossil fuels, but also from digital technology. And you want to call me, uh, you know, a a Luddite and and a utopian or whatever? Fine. Go right ahead. What strikes me as unrealistic and utopian is that the current system of breakneck fossil fuel consumption, the private automobile, and the digitization of every aspect of human reality, is at all workable or sustainable. That is what's unrealistic and utopian. And, you know, a final point is that, yes, I am aware, and I must mention this, but, you know, I mean, a lot of people who have staked their economic future to um, Keystone XL and other pipelines are, you know, negatively impacted by their um, by their cancellation. Not only, you know, direct employees, construction workers, and so on, but also, you know, those who uh, open small businesses along the pipeline route in anticipation of a big influx of... Construction workers. You know, this has to be acknowledged. And this is where we have to, in addition to demanding that all of this infrastructure be dismantled with all due haste, we also have to demand that the economic costs of this dismantling not be borne by the working class, but that those who made the mess. Take responsibility for cleaning up the mess, and that includes the economic dislocations. Take it off the hides of the damn corporations. Make the rich pay. Rather than throwing working people who have staked their economic future on these pipelines to the winds, which was just going to fuel fuel a you know, populist anti-environmental backlash. And this is where, you know, we get into all of the uh, current talk about the Green New Deal, a concept about which I am slightly skeptical. (laughs) As I've discussed before, a lot of the uh, ideas which are being bandied about in the name of the Green New Deal aren't really that green. But the, uh, so I believe that, you know, it needs to be uh, looked at with a very, very skeptical eye. But certainly, you know, one would hope that, uh, you know, the, the fundamental notion of putting people to work and creating secure and dignified jobs, cleaning up the environment rather than destroying the environment. You know, this fundamental concept of the Green New Deal, whether you want to call it that or not, has got to be fundamental to the transition which so urgently needs to happen. This has been Bill Weinberg with the Counter Vortex. Check us out online at countervortex.org where everything that I have been ranting about is fastidiously hyperlinked and documented. Support us on Patreon, please. We do this every week, just once a week, but we're trying to keep it going every week, asking just a dollar per podcast. Join the counter vortex, join the resistance, and rant on you next time.